the hard shoulder on News Talk with Nissan Subscribe and Drive. No deposit, no compromise, no fuss. Find out more at Nissan.ie. You're very welcome back to The Hard Shoulder. Kieran Cudahy with you until 7 o'clock. And I'm delighted to say with me for the Thursday interview this week, Catherine Lynch. Catherine, you're very welcome to studio. Oh, thank you, Kieran. It's always lovely to come in here. Yeah, brave, the, brave the bad weather to get yeah, here. Well, it's, it's raining. It's uh, Yeah, it's four seasons today. We just need to bring out the violins. Oh, yeah, it is. It's, that, it's the typical Irish summer's day. Isn't it? Yeah. yeah. I'd say you were a good woman, though, I'd say, when you were younger to spend all day outdoors, were you? I definitely was. We were thrown out at probably, you know, after the breakfast which was cornflakes and uh, milk <laughs> and uh, we were thrown out a little drop of milk because sure probably we it needed to be uh, uh, replaced but uh, yeah we were thrown out at around whatever after the breakfast and we came in when our curfew was when it got dark so, really? yeah for sure and it was lovely uh, when I was a kid I suppose the greatest memory is the freedom and uh, a private life I think we had private lives when we were kids nowadays I suppose everyone is helicoptered and you're brought to venues and you're brought to your piano lessons or your ballet lessons or anything like that so my ballet lessons were probably tight roping across a, a rope from two, two trees <laughs> and, and was that was that kind of typical of where you were growing up of everyone's childhood or was it maybe just in your family your parents had a view listen unless they're killing themselves or each other well, that off. was it. It's like the Indians, unless your child's in trouble, don't correct it. So I think we're very close to the Indians in Leitrim. Maybe we're twinned. <laughs> 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 so, yeah, so, uh, yeah, that was it, really. And we did have lots of injuries. We came back with nails up our feet and we came back, you know, with black eyes and scrapes and orchard um, injuries and all that sort of stuff. But we had great fun. I always and it's a great foundation for a child because I, I feel strong when I look back on my childhood and I feel joy. So when you can carry joy in your pocket, I suppose you can deal with the suffering that you walk into when you're an adult. Yeah. And and the people who you were getting nails stuck in your feet with or, or making tightropes across rivers with, was this your siblings or was it groups of friends? You had two brothers and a sister? Two brothers and a sister. And uh, I suppose... You were number they, three, is that They right? were just an accident. They were my family. Your family you took for granted. The yeah. rest you went out <laughs> to make war They'll with. always be there. Yeah, they're always going to be there so yeah no the whole town and back in the day towns were full of families so when you walked up our main street there was a hundred kids you know now our main street is like every other small town in the country has very few I think there was one child born on it recently and it was the first in 25 years or something really yeah so but back in the day when I was going to school everyone would be pouring out of the doors as you ran up uh, after your lunch, you know, which was a half an hour. However, we managed that and why we don't have ulcers. We ran down, uh, we had our lunch and we ran back all in a half an hour. <laughs> to school? Yeah, so yeah, at your lunchtime. But it was so much fun uh, growing up in a small town and you just were young Lynch, patted on the head. There's Catherine. Oh, look at the little bowl head in her, you know, and everybody had a little bit of fame in a small town. And that's what's lovely about it. And it was in, in and Mohill was that size of town, was it that everyone knew everyone? Yeah, everybody knows and still does, you know, which is great and not so great at times. Because <laughs> you really do appreciate when you leave and have freedom and become anonymous in Dublin. And 
but you always miss that connection and that it's so good for your mental health to have that community and to have that connection and have that grounding to go back to. So nobody lets me get too big big for my boots. <laughs> and do you say when you're going to Leitrim now that you're going home or are you going home when you go back to Dublin? No, definitely going home to Leitrim. Yeah, so that's, yeah, I haven't thought about that for years. You're right. I say I'm going home, yeah. Yeah. God uh, almighty, it, I should grow up, shouldn't I? <laughs> <laughs> it's an Irish thing though, isn't yeah. it? I think that... You know, it, it all goes back to the bury me with my mother's people stuff, doesn't I it? I know, that's how my father and my mother uh, got married. My father said to my mother, would you like to be buried with my people? That's that's what's his proposal. Uh, my, my granddad was a pathologist and it, when we were kids. I remember we were flying to France. I was flying to France uh, on a school trip, uh, an exchange, a French exchange. Yeah. And my first time in a plane. And this was his sage advice to me was that if uh, the plane was going to crash, I was to lick the top of my index finger and stick it up my backside <laughs> so that they could identify me afterwards and I could be buried with my mother's people. <laughs> <laughs> that is absolutely class. Can I use that in a comedy show? You can use that. You can absolutely use that. that he amazing. thought it was hilarious too. He thought this was a great thing <laughs> to tell me. It's the funniest thing. Oh. Um, uh, so it does. So, so Leitrim <laughs> is still home. And would you still be close to the siblings? Very close, yeah. They both, um, two siblings live in Bath and uh, four, five, six nieces and nephews. And then the other sibling lives in Longford with two nieces and nephews. So they will all descend in in August now that uh, we have free travel again. <laughs> oh, that must be great to see them yeah, again. Yeah, it has been really tough. That disconnection has been awful. So we are really looking forward to seeing each other. And then, of course, there'll be fight on day three. There will be tension. Oh, and sure, like every other family, we're absolutely normal there'll be a big fight there'll be a few tears there'll be a makeup in the local pub and all that it's never too intense though no I wouldn't think so Gaelic Games big part of life growing up as well in your house absolutely and people are flabbergasted that we have such we are so steeped in football in Leitrim because you see us on our county level and you see us not doing so well but the club level is so uh, uh, passionate and at the moment we're um, the Kingpins in Leitrim in Mohill our club so we're very proud of that and yeah so my mother was a football fanatic and my father was from Kerry so he brought all the great new little tricks he trained the under 12s the under 14s the under 16s and they all went on to the seniors where he became a selector you know so my mother my and, was, and it was he, he was kind of your dad was the great white hope was he this oh, guy will come was. from Kerry because I'm from Kilkenny and, and we get like some lad from Kildare has moved to Kilkenny oh my god they play football there he will transform our fortunes he is good to be <laughs> yeah the, the, the Mick O'Shea the Paddy O'Shea all that and uh, yeah my mom was still Still an avid football fan. She will go to the under 12, third team, intermediate slash <laughs> not able to feed a team uh, up in Balneglera, which is like 30 miles away. She will go to any match, you know, which is an amazing thing. And she's a great supporter. Her waters broke with me on the side of the football pitch. No way. Yeah. And uh, she went off and uh, she had me and she came back for the second half. And she's never forgiven you. She came back for the second half. <laughs> she did, yeah. <laughs> she did not. That's a big lie, but it could have happened. <laughs> she wanted to get back. Um, if it had been happening now, she'd have been on the phone texting people. What's the score? Uh, give me an update. Um, so absolutely. All right. So steeped in GA. You played a bit, obviously, yourself. Then. Do you know what? My mother trained the first ladies team in Mohill. That's a great question because yeah. I actually forgot about that. My mother uh, trained the first ladies team in Mohill and I was on it. And we didn't have the rules for ladies at the time. So my dad 
did think it was a bit rough for girls, so he was a bit wary of me playing. But uh, we played and we won. And uh, then it kind of died down again until the rules were all, um, you know, made up properly yeah. for girls. And now we have a great mole f- uh, ladies team as well that win all around them. Yeah, so, it's great to see. I know yeah. it's it's changed so much, hasn't it? Like yeah. I know there's, you probably go there now and there's under fives and sixes, you know, yeah, girls out playing. Absolutely. So it's it's brilliant. Um, like in terms of stand-up performance and everything as well that people will know you for. Yeah. I mean, that can trace its roots back to GAA as well. Can well, it, it can because SCORE, which is SCORE is a competition that the GAA, GAA they... Um, Organise so every little town, land and town has a group. So my father wrote the comedy sketches, and my family and I acted in them, and the neighbours and the rehearsals were in our kitchen. And my brother, if there was any props to be had, like smoke, he'd be on a big cigar on the side of the stage before all these rules, (laughs) (laughs) safety rules. Really? Yeah. So uh, my father and we went and we we actually won a lot of competitions. We'd just get into cars and buses and head off to distant lands like Roscommon <laughs> <laughs> and go to the comic exotic, finals. Exotic land. And the All Ireland could be in Killarney. I'm sure you might as well be going to Africa. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so that's where I started my comedy, my comedy timing, my love for comedy, and my appreciation of the power of it. And was your dad writing these sketches for you or was he just was he just a good writer in general or how did this all come about this He was a great collaboration. writer. He was a great writer and he loved writing and he won uh, uh, short story competitions in the local uh, magazine uh, the Leitrim Guardian. Um and he also was just hilarious. He was from Kerry. He had that Kerry wit. He could floor a room with a one liner. And um, so he wrote the sketches for the adults and the kids. Now, he was he would probably revamp a little sketch for us, but he'd go full on for the adults. <laughs> and he had um, just say uh, he had one sketch where it was uh, Dracula and his son arrived back into Ireland and ended up, you know, eating black pudding and all sorts of stuff like that <laughs> until he, they, he drove a stake through the neighbor's heart for the land. And it was all kind of mixture. He was very kind of... Um, uh, very kind of I don't know David Lynch in places. <laughs> yeah, David Lynch meets John B. Keane. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> it sounds like. And was there a point at doing the kind of scorn and Oak stuff where where you were, as you said, developing all this love of comedy and comic timing that your dad recognised the talent in you as well and was like, Catherine, you're good at this. Yeah, well, you know what? Um, he did and. He didn't because he would have been a little bit wary of me going straight into acting because he thought it was, oh, it's a very promiscuous um, uh, job. Mm. Way back in the 80s there, being promiscuous was very much frowned upon. And <laughs> now it's a whole hobby. <laughs> Love Island. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so he, he encouraged me to go and get a trade first. And I suppose there wasn't a situation to become an actress down in Leitrim. You know, um, it it was unusual that somebody would want to be an actress. But I did yeah. from the get-go want to be. And uh, so, I, but I went off to Longford first and became a hairdresser. And I loved that. And that was the metropolis, 17 miles away in Longford. I got my own apartment. I think that was something like £17 a month, you know, and I had my little wage coming out of the uh, hair salon. I got myself a boyfriend with long hair and a Volkswagen Beetle. And it was, yeah, so it was a lovely kind of... Um, beginning of my adulthood you know so 
Uh, uh, if you're just tuning into the Hard Shoulder, Catherine Lynch, the writer, the actress, the producer, comic, is with me for the Thursday interview. So you're you're now late teenage years working as a hairdresser in the the lights of Longford, the heady <laughs> lights of Longford. How do you end up in Dublin? Um, I went to Dublin because my sister was in Dublin and she was living with uh, two nurses, Debbie and Michelle. And she was telling me how exciting it was up there. So I went to Dublin with the hope to become an actress. And um, But again, I was sidetracked by going into this. Um, and so just to inter- when you say an actress, I mean, in your mind's eye, when you were going to Dublin, were you going to be a comic actress or were you, this was, I'm going to be a thespian or what, what was I the view? I think now I was going to be a thespian. I was quite a little kind of um, nerd and I wrote poetry yes. and, you know, would have loved all the really kind of um, art has movies and all that. So Will I play Ophelia first. Ophelia <laughs> first. And then <laughs> I, I walked into a gay bar and that all changed. <laughs> I changed from thespian to camp. <laughs> how, how did that happen? Well, what happened was I was I started work I started in Bull Alley as yeah. my in on my thespian journey, and in Bull Alley I had to work in a cafe to um to subsidise my rent as all actresses do. So this one happened to be a gay cafe called Small Talk, and Alternative Miss Ireland was on. So it was 1998, and Shirley Temple Bar had won the year before, and she had to hand her crown over to somebody. So. My cafe got £50 together back in the day when it was pounds and went into Oxfam and bought every bit of red and white gingham and dressed me up as a cowboy, a periodically obsessed country and western star called Tampi Lalette. So <laughs> I was on that uh, female empowerment buzz way before, <laughs> way before the Joe Duffy show. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, I mean... Like when when that was happening, was this just all a bit of a lark and it's Bull Alley is still the focus or? Bull Alley was still the focus. Okay. But I went out to the Red Box and there was 2,500 people there and I marched out on stage with my gang. And um, Louis Walsh was one of the judges and there was a big line of judges and I won that night. So the actual applause, the getting together of it all, the production of it, Warren Myler, who is still my business partner um, in our production company, Wacka. Um, produced it so it was the beginning of a journey with him and with the gay scene and with comedy and with the fact that you can bring all the masses together that light entertainment is all inclusive if you have light on t- entertainment on the surface and a lot of depth underneath, underneath yeah. too but wh- so, why, What was it about the gay scene in Dublin then that that attracted you so much or that, that, that you know that they adopted you or you adopted them however you might yeah, I it. I think back again, you're right. Um, when I think about that, it's community again. So I went from one community to another community and I love community because community minds each other. So yeah. I didn't see in the straight bars, um, I just saw fights and too much drinking and shots. And with in the gay bars, of course, you saw lots of drinking, but you also saw, oh my God, such and such is not feeling so well or is sick, so we'll do a little fundraiser or we'll get together and we'll help that person through this thing they're going on. Now, at one stage, I had arthritis on my shoulder from all the young men who were coming out on it and crying <laughs> on it because they had all come from the country as well. So we were kindred spirits. I was a little... Uh, bogger coming from the country trying to find my way in the city and they were country boys coming to try and find not only 
themselves, but their gender and their sexuality and everything in the city. So it was a real bond then in the 90s. And we had so many great clubs and the creativity that was included in our uh, in the discovery of our genders. Unfortunately, yeah. I was so boring, I was straight. Well, was, <laughs> it, what, was, it, like, was it an exciting time to be around that scene? Because you're post-decriminalisation, yeah. but it, it's still kind of underground to a degree. It, it, it's nowhere near what it is today. You know, you and me go down, we go over to Panty Bar now and have a cup of coffee and head off. And it's not a thing. No, it's not a thing anymore. And you know what? If I dare say it, and I have talked to some of the older gays, I'm I'm an older uh, gay friend. I can't say fag hag anymore because it's politically incorrect, but that's what I was. And <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the we kind of miss that. You know, let it let the truth be known. That kind of underground um, surge to like be creative with how we want it to be received like that is missed not like when you when you when you look at pride march and you see thousands and thousands and thousands yeah. of people now marching and all signs for facebook and google and this and that and the other it's brilliant i can't say it's not brilliant but also you miss the kind of us all getting our floats together and going oh what are you wearing a da, da, da. now i just stand looking and nobody knows who i am you know yeah. whereas i had my own float back in the day <laughs> so but it it's you know what? It is a great exchange to see such freedom and freedom of expression. And now, sure, we're on to other things now, aren't we? You know, we're on to more women's rights and uh, transgender rights. And, you know, gay people are completely equal now, you know. And how how then did that journey pan out from that first win of Alternative Miss Ireland to, I suppose, the Catherine Lynch that the rest of us got to know on television? Yeah, Um how did that? Yeah, no, I had a residency. You're great. You're actually you're triggering my memory here. Um, I had a residency in Gubu. It was called. It's now Panty Bar. So, um, I had a resi- residency there for five years, where I honed all the characters like singing Bernie Walsh and Liz Hurley and Sheila Sheik, and um, the cabaret was called G Spot, Busty's G Spot. <laughs> <laughs> but that in your pipe and smoke it, Kieran. <laughs> <laughs> so Busty's G-Spot went on for five years and um, while I was there Marion Cullen and the beautiful and well-missed Shea Healy came in and they saw potential in one of my characters actually the Sing and Bernie character the Traveller character and they were presenting a show a Talking Heads show and they put Bernie into it and RT loved it fair play to them and they asked me would I do a pilot I did the pilot the pilot was thrown in the bin I said no it's not going in the bin I went in literally took it out of the bin in RT and said you're doing this you need a female comedian and the rest is history so I was like nearly 10 years front and shows in RT but whoa ho would I be able to do it now I don't think so why not well, I think that my type of comedy is cancelled. <laughs> if the truth be known. But I can reinvent myself. I'm still funny and I'm I'm in the middle of doing that. But I think that I have to, like, no more than the Little Britain people. And you have to take it on the nose and say, society's moved on now, Catherine. You move on with it. You know, you did what you did at the time was great because it brought things to the... Yeah. To the, you know, I represent a cusp of society women. So hopefully... Is that a price you think we just have to pay to move on with things or... Like, is there, are there times you think that's too high a price? It's too high a price. It's like absolutely the can cancel 
culture debate has become about how we communicate within a binary. It's a right versus wrong framework. And there's no room for common sense. Uh, you know, and the central question is not whether we can hold one another accountable, but how we can now forgive and move forward. You know, because the cancel culture is a rabbit hole and a rut and it's a stifling of society's common sense. And we can't live in it anymore. We have to actually just find a way to see small things that don't deserve to be cancelled and forgive them and move on. Now, there's, I'm not talking about Harvey Weinstein here or, you know, yeah. like I'm talking about small things that people get cancelled for. It's not fair, you know. And, so. and is that like, is that a symptom of... Like is so saying it's a symptom of social media. It feels a little lazy to say it, but at the same time, there's a ring of truth to it, isn't there? Like yes. you, you just see it online. Like immediately, you talk about the binary choice. People do. You get into your trenches. Yeah, you get and into your trenches. And sometimes it doesn't matter what said. It's who's saying it. Exactly. Uh, that person, they're not actually my ally, so I've got to oppose what that person is saying. Exactly, and it doesn't matter. You don't see the common sense or their intent or where they're coming from, and it's fear also and. Fear, as they say in Star Wars, is the path to the dark side. Fear leads to anger, anger leads to hate, and hate leads to suffering. So you, we have to take a choice to actually become more sensible, you know, and have a bit of common sense. I can't believe I'm saying that I should be more sensible, but um, God, everyone deserves a chance, don't they? And we don't deserve to be kicked off our pedestal by... It's normally by, it's like the chorus in in Greek tragedies. They're all in the sidelines telling us what we should be doing. But we're on the bloody stage and we need to get on with it. Which character would get you cancelled? Um, I think... Bernie might. You know well, what? Well, you got in a bit of trouble for Bernie. Well, people gave out about Bernie before. You know what? Uh, and they did. And you know who came to my rescue? The travelling community. And they put me on the front yeah, of the... the ones who gave yeah. out. And they put me on the front of the traveller's voice. And any time I went down to Puck Fair and the whole lot, I was able to infiltrate groups of people and have great conversations, which was, you know, that was my weapon, yeah. was, was Bernie. I've gone and done talks with uh, traveller women. Um, Sheila Sheik, I think, is the one that would get me into trouble, but she, she also doesn't care. So <laughs> she has a license that she you can shoot her if you want. You know, she's probably in prison now anyway. <laughs> So, like, what's on the agenda then if, if that type of comedy, like the type of comedy that we all got to know you so well through, yeah. if, that, if that's, if there's no room for that anymore? It's I mean, really, like, it's you? really scary. I find it scary. And um, I don't know sometimes what's on the agenda for me. I'm, I'm doing a, a radio show myself on Dublin City FM and I'm loving that. I'm loving radio. I love the medium of radio. You see me now, my face is lit up. Yeah. I'd be on this microphone all day if I could be. But um, I have to think outside the box all the time. You know, I have a, a production company with Warren Myler, which, like, um, th that's doing well. Um it's scary. It really is. It's like, you know, we as a, a, what I miss is the creative families that I make along the way while I'm doing a show. You know, we were supposed to do Madhouse. Una McEvitt wrote it uh, about PJ uh, Gallagher's life, actually. And that was going into the Gaty after a wonderful run in the Abbey and around the countryside. Yeah. And that was all cancelled during COVID. So it's really hard for us to get that muscle back again, you know, and it's like most professions, most artistic professions have lull times. Mm. And so we were well, we were really resilient in the beginning. We were thinking, oh, this is just, you know, resting, actors yes. call it. But this rest is way too long. I'm in a coma now, you know, and <laughs> yeah. I'm fearful of, uh, you know, even do I want to go back to it? Because it's it's hard enough. 
without us having to go through this kicking the ass, you know. Yeah. 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 Well, listen, I think I speak for everyone when I say we, we hope you, you you stir from the coma. Yeah. Uh, uh, sometime soon, uh, and we see you back on the screens and people can listen to you of course on, on Dublin City FM as well 103.2 I think Dublin City with FM. Billy Kilkenny with Billy Kilkenny <laughs> there you have it uh, Catherine listen it's been a pleasure and thanks oh, a million for coming thank in thank you Kieran. I really enjoyed that Catherine Inch writer, producer actor, comedian you name it as she does it Catherine like I said uh, thanks a million for coming into us here in studio that is our lot for today's edition of The Hard Shoulder Off the Ball as always they're up next and I'll be back tomorrow from four have a good one 